Hello, I'm Dr. Amalia Gondas Malka. Welcome to Womanity Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self emancipation, human rights, democracy, and much more. Joining us today from Johannesburg in South Africa is Dr. Sharpa Mortiki. She is currently the clinical head of the ear, nose and throat unit at the Charlotte Makeke Academic Hospital. Her areas of interest include neurotology and rhinology. She lectures at WITS in the otorhinolaryngology department and is an ENT specialist at Four Ways Life Hospital and is also part of the Rhinoplasty Society. Welcome to the show, Dr. Motikif. Thank you very much. Uh, I just want to first say thank you so much for inviting me and giving me this opportunity to share my experience with your audience, especially the younger females. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. To start off with, ear, nose, throat field includes a broad range of conditions. And I think that most people as patients will require one or another consultation in this discipline over their lifetime. Can you share with us a few of the types of conditions that you treat? So ear, nose and throat, as uh, it says uh, the name as well, is that we're dealing with all the conditions which is involved these three areas. Now, just to give a few examples of the conditions that most people might have heard or experienced is uh, for the ear in children would be like uh, recurrent ear infections, which some of the children they will end up with having a grommet. And then a little bit older, then tonsillitis, another very common one. And then um, we're talking about the sinusitis that is fairly common, especially in the modern time. And then allergy, they can have allergic rhinitis. Then we expand a little bit, like things like dizziness, also something that a lot of people, especially older people, uh, might have. And then um, sleep apnea, another important one. So I'm just mentioning some of the common one and also the important one in terms of the lifestyle. But when we talk about ENT, we also deal with cancer. There is a lot of cancer as well which involve both all the three conditions and also the neck. So these are generally the most common conditions that people might encounter in CNT. And of course, during the COVID, uh, what we saw quite a lot is that people lost their smell, they lost the taste, and also some had hearing loss because of that. And we are seeing at the moment the consequence of uh, COVID again is that we see patients have got some kind of sinusitis, which is a little bit different from what we used to get traditionally. Would you say that this is almost a long-term effects of COVID? Well, we don't know if how long they will last. We'll have to see as the time goes. But certainly we had quite a few post-COVID symptoms that there are uh, um, patients having that. And uh, well, we'll have to see. You know, we'll, it's only in one year after that kind of it is settled. So we have to see what, what's going to happen. Are there any particular ENT disorders that women are potentially more at risk from or, or predisposed to? Um, in general, not really in ENT. Um, 
by the nature of women getting some other conditions, like because women, example, are more prone to get autoimmune disease. So we do see some in these patients more common because it's uh, it's kind of the consequence of the original that happens in women and they can have also ENT problem. So, but in general, not really. I know that you've done all of your education in the South African environment and you've grown and developed your career. As a female doctor, I was curious to understand your views on bringing more women up through the field. I came across a 2021 article which compared the ratio of female to male doctors, and it indicated that the ratio of female doctors per 10,000 of the population had increased between the year 2000 and 2019, so just under 20 years, from 1.2 to 3.2. But when you look at the same statistics on male doctors, they had gone from 3.5 in 2000 to 4.7 in 2019. So men continue to dominate the, the medical profession. Do you ever feel that you are potentially judged by your gender and not by your capabilities? Um, thanks. That That is actually a very um, interesting question because there's two aspects of that to look at. One is the first one that you mentioned. There is still more males in, in medical field than females. Um of course, there is a number of reasons for that. And I think that it starts from the beginning, it starts from the high school level, school level, that the girls are generally have been brought up and been told that don't shine. Because if you do, then nobody's going to like you, whether your friends, whether other guys, you know, and all of that. So that always does have an effect. Um, on their goals not to actually do as well as they can. And they kind of learn to suppress what they want to do with love because they've been conditioned that you should not progress because you're not going to be liked. And, and I think that is a mentality that we really need actively, um, the females, especially females that we are like, you know, um, that we are more experienced and have been going through that route to to try to change in our younger younger generation. And so that is one thing I think is is contributing. And then um, the second thing is that, you know, a lot of women as well, they think girls, they think that if they go to do medicine or um, for that matter, any profession that is going to need hard work, they will not be able to, at the same time, to be a good mother and a good wife, and that part of their their, their life can has to be neglected, and and that is also another thing that we need to change and then show them that that's not the case at all. Many women have studied, have worked hard, and they have managed to um, still have children. It's all about the framework to change. As far as the system and the universities, whether the acceptance, if there is a discrimination. As far as I know, I cannot say for definite, when it comes to the admission to medical school and that, at the moment, there is no discrimination in that respect. In fact, they, because of the, all of these 
changes that is happening, they try to, to try to actually keep it equal. I don't know what was happening, of course, 20 years ago, but for now, definitely not the case. But the perception of the woman is a very important thing. I'll just give you another example. That is myself. When I did ENT, I was the first woman ever did ENT at VITS. And I was the only female ENT for many, many years. And I was at the time when I finished as a specialist, I was the fourth one in the country. There were four of us in the whole country. And I clearly remember when we meet each other at Congresses, it was all males and it was just four of us. And definitely the reason was not because the ENT didn't want to accept females. You know, often women had this perception that ENT, you do head and neck, you do these big cases. So it's a lot of perception. And that perception has changed over the years to the extent that now in our department and in Charlotte now, in fact, majority of my registrars are females. I mean, that is a complete in contrast when I was the only female for many, many years. So I think we need to also educate our younger people and change the perceptions about the roles that they want to have, both as a career person and as a mother and as a wife. Yeah. Perception is so important. And I think this also emphasizes the point of role modeling, that if people can see you, if they can see you're an ENT, maybe that's something I can do. So I think the visibility is one avenue which helps change perceptions. And also thinking about perceptions, not just as women, but also the way that men perceive women and women's capabilities across the, the professional sphere and understanding that that we're multidimensional, that being a mother, being a wife, being a professional is, is not mutually exclusive. We can do all of these things. Yes, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And I think um, that is exactly, I appreciate so much about your program when you called and I was immediately, yes, of course, is that I just feel that myself and uh, you know, to, to, I feel actually responsible for, for that. I, you know, I'm a stage in my life and my career that uh, I definitely need to pass on that message today, 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 younger females. You mentioned that you were the first ENT going through your studies and being the only woman doing it. What made you choose the field? Um, it was, uh, um, a multiple combination of things that I liked about medicine and and then as a speciality I choose. I was, of course, privileged that I, my dad is a doctor, my grandfather is a doctor. So I really brought up in a very much a medical environment. And uh, always we had the doctor's friends and I knew I had ENTs as my dad's friends. So we, I was very much, of course, exposed to, to medical fields. And... Uh, my first primary become a doctor was actually people. And then as I during my, my, my training, I also liked surgery. And then I also like pediatric. I love children. It's my passion with children. But I also like older people, you know. So it was like my, my interest in, in what I wanted was quite broad. And ENT just fulfilled all of them because We've got patients from the neonate right up to the elderly and geriatrics. And we've got conditions that we have to operate. That's the only way to treat them. But yet we also got a lot of conditions that you can treat medically. 
and her conditions that I tried as much as medically and surgery for me is only if them really fell. So it really is a, it's just because it's such a broad spectrum of conditions. Although I have got area of interest, definitely, you know, like the dizziness and, and ear and also sleep apnea and rhinology, I do have area of specific interest, but generally ENT is quite broad. And that's, that's what made me to decide to do ENT. And I'm very happy with my decision. I'm definitely the right place. It's wonderful when a career is so fulfilling and it ticks all of your, your boxes, not, not just from a work point of view, but also the, the satisfaction elements. Can you tell us about some of the milestones in your career? Um, I've moved around a bit with that because uh, I was, of course, after I finished, I went to private practice about a year afterwards. So I was in a private practice that uh, um, after about four or five years that I decided that uh, I would like to do the academic as well. And my milestone is to and I said, then it started from there. Then I went and I did a research fellowship. And, uh, and of course, I worked with one of the top guys um, for neurotology. And then when I came back, I, was, I went straight away to the position at Charlotte, Mexico. And since then has been just great. At the time, we started the Dizzy Clinic there, which was running quite successfully. I would say that's just... Just the whole process of this being there, the, the academic and the teaching and the registrars and, and the meetings that we have with the other colleagues. And the whole thing is just very nice, very amazing, very um, satisfying for me. And and, and I'm, I'm happy that I can also do something I can you know, give. Um, I wouldn't say just to give, but, you know, like to uh, to contribute, to contribute to something more than just my personal goal. On that aspect of contributing and being involved in the academic process, being involved in developing younger talent and bringing them up through the ranks, what would be your advice to girls and young women that want to follow in your footsteps and enter the medical field? Um, I think um, the important things that um, I think anybody who chooses any career is that First, you must actually choose what is the passion. Because when we do what we are passionate about, as Warren Buffett actually says, it's like you don't work anymore. But you get tired, but you because you're so passionate about it, you're enjoying it. You're tired, but you're enjoying it. You're happy. So I think that is the, the, the important things to, to decide. And then the second thing is that once one decides on that, must say that, you know, this is a hard route and it is a very hard route. But if somebody is passionate, they can do it. But it's a hard route and they must be prepared to work. And once they decide on that, then it just goes to the basic of planning and just planning. That's it all goes to planning and unfortunately or fortunately to be disciplined. But I think if a, if, if a person in their mind they first create what they want to detail and they know exactly why they're doing it, what they want and the purpose of it, then automatically the motivation and the discipline will come. You know, when you're so excited about something, you get up early in the morning. If there is nothing exciting to do, one can just 
stay in bed late, you know. So that is what I would just say is that just just very clearly plan, know what you want to do, have a good reason. And the reason must always be beyond just for our own self-achievement. That's just the principle of life. I think it feeds into self-motivation that when you've got this vision, when you've got this focus, you know what you're working towards. And as you rightly say, it's having this higher purpose that it's not just about doing something for yourself, but it's doing something for more. You are listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity, and today we're talking to Dr. Sharpa Mortakif, who is an ENT specialist and clinical head of the ENT unit at Charlotte Makeke Academic Hospital. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Dr. Mortakif, in the previous section of the show, we spoke a lot about the, the medical field and your points of passion and pursuing ENT as a specialization, as well as being able to develop and nurture talent and help draw people up through the ranks. Going on to more of a said gender equality point of view and also tapping into some of your personal experiences, one of the most challenging components that gender equality principles talk about is being able to achieve work-life balance and having a fulfilling career and getting to the top of your game. As a successful woman who's worked hard to build your career and have a family, please share your perspectives of this. Thanks. Uh, that's a very um, important, actually, question that I'm sure every single young female, they think when they want to start their, uh, their career and the family. So but what, what I found the, the, from my personal thing is, was two things was very important, was that one is that to sort of be very clear cut of what one wants and decide that at, um, we cannot possibly do everything at the same time. So we do need a little bit of be patient and stage it. And we need to at different time to sacrifice. And uh, what I found is that at my earliest stage of my um, sort of career is that first was my work because I wanted to specialize. And then the second thing is that I wanted to have a child. So immediately after I finished my medical school, I had a child. <laughs> so, and this, this was my focus of the two. And, and just with the, with the, with the right planning, you know, and then you're not to do anything else that much, you know. So yes, you get the work life balance, but the work life balance is not at one point. You're going to do different things at different times. You see. So at that time, this was the true concentration. You know, I used to get up at, Half past three, by four o'clock, I started studying because I had a child and I want to spend time with my child as well. So then, yes, you don't go out. You don't, I mean, you don't go see a movie. I mean, yeah, I remember that for years I didn't go and see a movie because there was no ways I would put my child at home with nanny and go see a movie because the rest of the time I'm studying. So that's what it was. So then during that period of time, it was fully dedication to those choices that I made. And then once you finish, you go later on, then you go, yes, you can now go see a movie. You know what I'm saying? So what I'm just saying is that it really needs to say, what are my main objective now? Very clearly defined them, planned them, and knowing that, yes, there is going to be some sacrifice. And it's also important to have people around you that they are uh, supportive of what you do and 
And the most important thing is that those who are not supportive or they are not um, in the same sort of, they want to block you in any way, you just unfortunately has to remove them. And you must just be very focused, that focus part on your goal. It's, uh, it's, uh, it, it actually needs, a, sometimes it needs a lot, of, uh, a lot of energy to do that. That's basically, that will become just a principle, is planning, hard work, but focus on one or two at a time. Don't try to do everything at the same time because it's just not possible. And that's the reality. We only have 24 hours in a day. We, we don't have more than that. Yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I think for me, one of the most important learnings out of what you're saying is the staging aspect, that we can have everything, but we can't necessarily have it at the same time. It's just not practically feasible. No, yeah, exactly, yeah. And that is what was earlier on we say that choose what you're passionate about. Because when you're so passionate about those things that you're doing, um, you get tired, but you're enjoying yourself. You're enjoying the, the journey. That's also another very important thing. We must enjoy the journey. It's not all about destination. Um, we have to also enjoy it as we're doing it and realizing, yes, I'm tired, but I'm, I'm enjoying it. I mean, I know even now I usually work until quite late, very late, in fact, because I only, you know, start my sort of other work very later in day. So often I'm, I'm like going to see my patient in the ward at eight or past eight and they always give comments, you know, you're still here. I said, yes, but, but I, I, I like it. I want to be here. I, you know, I want to know how they're doing before I go home. You know, that sort of thing. When you're enjoying it, you, you, you just do it well. Passion can't be contained into a nine to five position. No, definitely not. Yeah. Given your experiences and the work that you do with young women today, if you can, please, can you share your top three tips to help women navigate and juggle the multiple responsibilities that they have to bear? Um, what I would advise to the younger uh, woman when they're trying to plan their life is that um, just to go back a bit, generally women I've noticed that we have a tendency that we want to be perfectionists in everything we do, number one. And number two is that we criticize ourselves all the time. It's like, a, it's almost our talent. We always run down ourselves, you know, either I'm not thin enough, I'm not this enough, I'm not, you know. And, and we just have to actually stop that. And uh, we must just choose what we're going to be perfectionists in and those ones we do perfect. I mean, for me, example, I'm perfectionist of how I treat my patient. There is no, there I have no compromise. There's that set. Has to be 100%, has to be 120%. But other things, just take it a bit easy. It's okay if they're not perfect. And that's something that I, I had to learn because I think a lot of females, that one we've got. So one is that Choose from the beginning what are the important things that you really need to be clear-cut perfectionist in, and you have to do it 100%. And then, then the other things, it's really about choosing, deciding that these are the things I can do it 50%, I can do it 40%, just to balance what you want to do. 
So that is, I would say, it's it's a, it's a very important thing. And then the second thing that I found in females that, again, we don't do, and I've, um, I mean, I'm just talking a lot of things from my own experience I had to learn by trial and error, is that we do not give ourselves any time off. We work flat out. I mean, I work so flat out. And one day I remember at the hospital at, uh, many years ago when I was in uh, uh, private is that I almost collapsed. I was known that I never take a break, you know, and, and that is the tendency that we females have got to do more than males. Um, and uh, that's it. Just even if it's half an hour, even if it's 15 minutes, um, even if it's every two weeks to go and do something you want to do, one must really be careful of the mental health and the relaxation of the mind. And, and it's important to realize for younger females that that is not selfish. That is, in fact, beneficial to your family. Because when you are healthy, when your mind is, is relaxed, when you, you think better, you're going to be better mother and you're going to be a better wife and a better also doctor to your society. So... That's a, never mind that is not selfish. It is actually one should do that to have a better sort of, uh, you know, relationship and be better for other people around us. Um, so I would say that is uh, the other very important thing. And then the other one, yeah, is planning and discipline. That's, um, that's the basic of all of them. I think that those are great tips. And I must admit the first one, I it took me time to learn that, that you cannot simply give 100% to absolutely everything, that you have to prioritize where you're going to give your dedication and where you don't need to give your full self. Dr. Mortekeep, everyone has a different journey in life and drawing on different resources to help them reach their goals, whether those be physical resources or emotive resources. And one question that I ask all my guests on the show is about some of the factors that they feel have helped contribute to their success. So many people will speak about discipline, part of what you're saying today on the planning aspect, focus, faith, and values. In your opinion, what would you say have been some of the key drivers to your success? Um. I think for me was as um, always number one was responsibility, and that responsibility is towards society, people, my child, and myself. So for me, I don't take a task if I'm not going to do it well, and that responsibility for me it was a very important uh, uh, sort of feature of my life. And uh, other one goes, it was always for me is that I'm here on this earth just to do something. We, each of us that are here, supposed to do something and contribute something. And that was, uh, I feel is actually my responsibility to do a certain thing. It's not about, it's nice, it looks nice on my CV. I just feel responsible, like, like at the moment, at my, I mean, at different stage in our life, of course, we grow and mature and we also learn that, that things become important, you know, um, 
at different stages are different. Like now for me, it's exactly what you're saying. It's really is actually the younger generation and, and the, the challenges that they go through. Um, so for me, it was, was mostly that. I'm just that, you know, I'm, I just feel I like to do something positive. I don't want to just be here and just enjoy myself in a type of thing. It has to be something beyond that, just myself in the, that I need to do here. And um, and just I've always searched for that, and that was always my motive. Mm. Making a meaningful contribution to society and being responsible for that contribution. Yes. Yeah. Can you tell us about some of your pivotal moments growing up? Thanks. So I'm actually from Iran. I was born in Iran, and I came here when I was a teenager. So I was born in Iran. And uh, in Iran, the life was very different when I came here. And, and I always remember that, that when I came to South Africa and it was, it was quite a difference in, in culture. And it took me a while to sort of come around it, to sort of see the differences and then establish myself in this difference, you know, to pick up some of this and then to retain my own because, you know, your own what you brought up and what is in your culture deep down is for, for you forever. That is who we are. But when you go to a new place, you have to also think, well, I'm in this new place. I also have to pick up their culture and the way. And that process for me is the most sort of uh, significant part that I still very clearly remember because I really like anything else that I do in my life. I go to detail, I study, I read books, I and research and you know and I did the same thing with that and then yeah I got it right and I was happy so I think that was my uh, main sort of that I remember at that time. I'd imagine it must have been such a dynamic on change of culture and if I'm not mistaken you only learned to speak English when you came to South Africa so again it's a it's a completely different world. Yes, I, I learned, I came here and learned English here. And, and the result is that uh, although I've spent most of my life here, I went through medical school and all of that, I still got an accent because I did learn English as when I was older. And those years was very interesting, actually, as well. When I came to South Africa, there was no English classes. Or the one that they had, I remember it was right in the middle of town that I used to go with my mom. But it was very basic. It wasn't like at, the, at that level. So I used to sit and study like biology and uh, read it in English and then get word by word translate it to Iranian. And it was years later when I picked up my book, you know, you know and I looked at it and I look at the translation. I said, oh, those translations are all wrong. You know, you can't directly translate one language to another language. That's the thing. Yeah, so it's still I've got the accent and uh, and I just always like that with my patients and everybody, you know, when they say you're foreigners and I'm not foreign, I'm a foreign, I'm not a foreign doctor <laughs> and I don't consider myself foreign. I have to spend most of my life here. This is my home. I love South Africa. It's, I'm absolutely passionate about this country. So this is my home, but I like Iranian as well. So yeah, just to find my place between the two. And can you tell us about some of your role models? Um, the way that I 
um, I was always a searcher in my life. So I always read books and I always went to read about books about human behavior and how human reacts. So I've always done that on that note. So the female roles that I had, it was not, uh, I cannot give one specific person. So what happened to me is that I would pick up from different people to see what I like about that. So if I wanted to start something, I would see who has done it before. I would pick it up. And then, of course, I will adapt it to my way because at the end, I want to be me. But so this is the way. So, so I don't even have a specific role model. The one person that it was about to stand out was actually a female surgeon who was at the head of the surgery at the at Barra. As a surgeon, she was my role. And I saw her and I said, wow, that's a woman can do that type of thing. But I must actually go to something completely different, however. The woman that inspired me to work hard and be a mother and be a wife and still do hard work in my work, in fact, were the female workers. Because these are the women who has to work. They don't have a choice. It's not a luxury to go for them to become a career person. They have to work because they need the money. And these women, they work from seven o'clock to six, seven o'clock. Then you see them as you're driving, that is standing in the queue in the taxi rack to get home. They get home and they still prepare meal for the children. They still clean and wash and they start again the next day. I often used to ask them, what time do you get up? Because I thought because they're coming with taxis, it's going to take them a long time. So I used to ask them, what time do you get up in the morning to be here at the start? They used to tell me at four o'clock, they're awake. And that was made me. Then I said, if she can wake up at four o'clock to come to my house, I can get up at four o'clock to study. So my role model of actually hard work, determination, are the worker woman because they don't have a choice. Listening to what you say, it really, it makes you almost take some things for granted of what you have in your life. And when you really look around and see what other people are doing and know what sacrifices they're making to, to get by, it does put things into perspective. And I, I think that um, a lot of our conversation today has been about that word perspective, uh, perspective shifts, understanding and having awareness of, of others. Dr. Mortekeef, as we close out the conversation today, please can you share a few words of inspiration that you'd like to pass on to girls and women who are listening to the program? Um, I think what's number one that I really think that is so crucial for every young girl to have is value herself and respect herself and insist that everybody else to respect her. But respect is not, cannot be demanded. Respect is earned. And so lead a life that is respectful and other people will respect her and truly does not allow all these 
Instagram, social media that they are trying to objectify the females. And this is not just now, it's always been. Even when I was young, we didn't have Instagram. It's still they had it in all of the magazines and journals. So there's not a new thing, it's always been. But of course, now it amplified because it's so accessible worldwide on your finger, sort of, you know, on your on your hand. So it is just, it's even worse than it used to be. Just to respect themselves. And, uh, and, and now and then when they lose it a little bit, which is normal, just to also tell them it's normal. Um, just to go back to sit down and think about it and and just just go back to the path again. And uh, another thing that I want to just tell them is that when when the young people to look at people like you know like like us like this, oh no, she she's done it all. I must just remember that we also went through a struggle. You know, often when I give advice to my son or the friends and we talk him, especially my son. I say to him, don't think that I know it all. I didn't know. I made a mistake. But the important thing is that make it a mistake, get up and keep going. Don't sit down. Don't sit and cry about it. That is life. And just see life as a journey and something that we're going to fail. We are going to make mistakes. The important thing is that every time get up, just to sort of meditate a little bit on it. When I say meditate, I mean to think about it, say what happened, why did it go wrong, not to uh, criticize yourself, to to learn from that experience, to look at it as experience and get up and move on. And just always a smile. Because somehow when you smile at everybody and people just smile at you, it's just the most amazing, beautiful thing. So that, that is what is respect. And uh, no life is a journey. You can make a mistake and just enjoy the journey. Thank you for that great message. And thank you very much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to host you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this opportunity. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity, and we have been talking to Dr. Sharpa Mortekeev, who is an ENT specialist and also clinical head of the ENT unit at the Charlotte McKecker Academic Hospital.